I always find it interesting to find how much of our daily activities in our lives take up when you add up the whole, you know, if you add up every day how much we do a certain thing, how much it adds up over the course of our lives, right? So if we spend a certain amount of time every day doing this thing, how much does it add up and if you looked over the whole course of our lives? So here's a list of some activities and the amount of time that it takes out of our lives. Sleeping, 26 years of our lives. Work, 11 years. Watching TV, 11 years. Lying awake at night, 7 years. That's kind of depressing, isn't it? <laughs> Being online, 5 years. Eating, 4 and a third. On the phone at work, 4 years. Being sick, 1 year. Waiting in line, 6 months. Waiting on hold, 20 weeks out of our, year, our lives. Getting ready, if you're a man, 46 days. Getting ready, if you're a woman, 20 years. No. <laughs> I read that wrong now. 136 days. I think some men might dispute the accuracy of that one. But anyway, they have calculated how much of our lives we spend worrying. One study says that we spend over five years of our lives worrying. That breaks down to about 14 hours a week. Another survey had a similar finding, almost five years. Interestingly, this study showed that the top two concerns that we have are work and financial concerns. We spend an enormous amount of time worrying, being anxious. Some would say it's the most common sin. In his book called Our Favorite Sins, James Hunter used an extensive survey of Americans about their greatest temptation. Guess what he found? Worry, worry was the most prevalent temptation, more than sexual immorality, overeating, and so on. On one hand, I think this makes a lot of sense. There's a lot to be anxious about. We look at our lives and there are constant issues such as your health, the health of a loved one. There might be financial matters, worries about job layoffs, any number of frustrations at work dealing with employers and employees. Your children might be going through a difficult time at school or work or, peer, excuse me, or with their peers. Your marriage might be going through a rocky time or just kind of cooled off. There's the constant struggle of just so much to do and so little time, right? And these things usually come in waves, don't they? They don't just kind of conveniently space themselves out, but they come crashing in on us. If you're a young person, you're not off the hook. You might be stressed with peer pressure, appearance, grades, and future issues like college, what you might do with a career, and so on. And if that's not enough, then there's things that go beyond just like our individual circles of existence, but there are bigger matters, right? There's our nation's ongoing economic struggles or the deep political divide that we have. We have a new presidential administration coming in 
in a little more than a week. How is that going to go? Well, there are continuing threats of terrorism, shootings, as we saw last week in Florida. Worries of nuclear action from hostile nations like North Korea. And the news and social media, in case you somehow try to avoid that stuff, they will instantly and constantly remind you of all the bad news, right? So it kind of, in one one hand, makes sense why there's a lot to be anxious about. What makes worry doubly serious is it is harmful, both physically and emotionally. More importantly, anxiety is a major roadblock to our relationship with God. So how do we deal with anxiety? Well, the passage we have today is one of Scripture's clearest and most helpful texts. So I invite you to turn to Matthew 6, as Jesus gives what I would call the classic teaching about worry. And along the way, we'll also reference what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. So as you turn there, just a reminder that we're in the midst of a series called Jesus is Greater, Finding Hope in Life Struggles, and we've been covering topics like anger and doubt and forgiveness and grief, areas where we all struggle in different ways, all right? Before we dive in today, I just want to clarify my terminology. I'm using worry and anxiety interchangeably for the rest uh, for this message. But for the rest of my message, I'm going to use the word anxiety a bit more because it matches with the wording of the two passages we have, which use anxiety. And next week, next week we're going to discuss fear. Fear. Fear and anxiety are similar, a lot of overlap, but they are distinct. Fear is a response to an immediate threat, while anxiety is a response to a possible threat. For example, you might have a general anxiety about crossing a busy road, whereas fear is you are scared of that speeding car that's about to hit you. Okay, We'll talk more about fear next week. But today I want us to understand and to really dig in to the hope that Christ gives about anxiety. So to help us, let us read what Jesus teaches about anxiety, and we'll pick up in chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. This is, of course, a part of Jesus' wonderful Sermon on the Mount. He says here, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus gives two reasons not to be anxious. The first is that anxiety is sinful. He begins his teaching here with this overarching command with, when he says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than body and the body more than clothing? I think what he's getting at here is that, look, God has given you life. He's given you this great thing called life. Will he not also give you the lesser things that you need to sustain that life? kind of the greater to the lesser argument. And so therefore, Jesus tells us not to worry about food or health and the clothing that we have, the things that we worry about. And I think for emphasis, Jesus, if you notice, He repeats this command two other times in the passage, in verse 31 and verse 34. He is making a point that we should not be anxious about the needs of life. Now, you might be saying, whew, this sounds a little too strong to forbid being anxious. It's just part of life, right? Well, I think it's helpful at this point to pause for a second and make a careful distinction between what I would call concern and anxiety. Concern and anxiety. Concern, I think, is a natural desire to seek God's will for your life and for others. And concern recognizes challenges to well-being and wants to address them. If a loved one is ill, right, you want to come alongside and provide and help because you care for them. Moreover, concern recognizes that it is wise to think about the future and to plan and to work hard. Proverbs exalts the importance of this. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So Scripture never tells us to be lazy, indifferent, aloof, okay? Is that, is that clear? We need to balance what Scripture is teaching here. So concern is good. So, so you say, well, what is the difference between concern and anxiety? I think anxiety goes beyond mere concern and becomes a preoccupation. We're consumed and controlled by what might happen. Anxiety dominates our thinking and dramatically affects our lives so that we have a difficult time just carrying out the normal responsibilities that we have in life. And as we dwell on these things, what it typically does is not lead to a sense of hope, but a sense of despair, right? Perhaps even here this morning, you might have something in your heart and in your mind that's just weighing on you. And you have a hard time even singing the worship songs or listening now to the message because you are weighed down with that anxiety. That is a preoccupation. So concern is good. God wants us to be concerned about our circumstances, but not anxious. Do you see the difference? Being anxious is wrong. It's sinful. You say, why is that? Because anxiety, at its root, demonstrates a lack 
of faith in God. Do you realize that? It shows a lack of faith in God. It shows that we don't trust Him to meet our needs. And Jesus provides several illustrations in this passage to sort of drive it home that God can provide for your needs and He will provide for your needs. He goes to nature, right? He says, look at the birds of the air. God provides for them. Did a little research. There are about 10,000 species of birds. Just species. They estimate between 200 to 400 billion birds live on this planet. I said billion, not million. So there's 7, 7 billion people. 200 to 400 billion birds live all throughout this world. All kinds of different climates. All kinds of different habitats. Do you realize what a massive feeding project God has on His hands? every single day to, to, to feed 200 to 400 billion birds? God's got it. He provides for the flowers of the fields. Again, countless flowers. And Jesus makes the point that not only does He feed them, but He makes them look pretty good, doesn't He? A lot of them are beautiful. He wants them to look nice, better looking than Solomon in all his glory. God provides for the birds. He provides for the flowers. Indeed, Psalm 104 declares that God cares for all the creatures of the world, whether great or small, whether land or sea. All these creatures matter to God, but you know what? They pale in comparison to what we matter to God. In fact, Jesus says this himself a little bit later in Matthew 10.31. He says, you are of more value than many sparrows. So friends, if God cares for these lesser creatures, will He not provide for His people? But it all goes back to how you view God, isn't it? We must believe that God made us in His image and that we're infinitely valuable to Him that we're unique among His creatures, that He knows our needs, that He cares for our needs, and that, yes, He will provide for His people. It all goes back to how you view God. Do you trust Him? Or do you have little faith, as Jesus said to them? Because, friends, faith is the opposite of anxiety. Do you realize it? I love what George Mueller said. He said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. I'm going to read that one again. I like that. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Friends, it is sinful to be anxious because God has given us abundant reason that He will provide the very things that you are anxious about. But unfortunately, I think it's kind of become an acceptable sin in our society. And I think it's even acceptable many times in the church uh, to, to say, you know, I'm anxious about this and no one bats an eye. Because they say, well, that's just the way I'm wired. I'm just this way. I'm always anxious, apprehensive about things. Or I can't help it because my parents, man, they just were worry warts about everything and I just have taken that in. And so we just kind of think it's acceptable. But Jesus says it's not acceptable. It's not God's will 
And I want that to sink in our heads this morning. That it's not acceptable to God. Because it shows a lack of faith in Him. I know this is blunt, but it's basically saying, God, you're a liar. You've given all kinds of evidence that you provide for the natural order of things. You've been faithful in my life. I'm sitting here today. You've obviously been providing for me. But yet I still don't believe that tomorrow something will be different. So anxiety is sinful. And to stress that it is wrong, Jesus gives a second reason to stop being anxious. Anxiety is useless. It's useless. Very practically, there's nothing that good that comes from it. To start with, it's bad for your health. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 27 there, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? You're not going to add anything. The answer is none. You won't add anything. Worry doesn't add to your life. In fact, there's a lot of evidence that shows that it detracts from your life. One study showed that 45% of people say worrying had a direct effect on their health. 32% had visited a doctor for worry or stress. The Harvard Medical School states, anxiety has now been implicated in several chronic physical illnesses, including heart disease, chronic respiratory disorders, and gastrointestinal conditions. That's big stuff. Don Joseph Goey, the author of the book, The End of Stress, expands on what worry does. Listen to this. The stress hormones that worry dumps into your brain shrinks brain mass, lowers your IQ, makes you prone to heart disease, cancer, and premature aging, predicts marital problems, family dysfunction, and clinical depression, and makes seniors more likely to develop dementia and Alzheimer's. If that won't get your attention, I don't know what will. It's just not good for you. So not only does it reduce the quantity of your life, but it also reduces the quality of your life. It, 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 it overwhelms us when we're anxious and debilitates us. Spills into all our thoughts. We can't have joy. And it robs us of our strength. Scottish theologian Ian McLaren said, What does your anxiety do? It does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it does empty today of its strength. It does, make you escape, it does not make you escape the evil. It makes you unfit to cope with it when it comes. So it's useless. It's not good for you, for your health, for your well-being. And then, I think to top it off, anxiety does nothing to actually solve your problems. You realize that? Jesus points out, verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. We shouldn't worry about tomorrow, because worrying about tomorrow has absolutely no impact on today. They say worry is like a rocking chair. You know why? It gives you something to do, but you actually go nowhere. And it's so true. By the way, much of what you and I worry about never even happens. One study said 85% of what we worry about never even happens. You'd think we'd learn, but for some reason we don't. 
So Jesus, I think he just demolishes this temptation to be anxious. He says it's sinful. He says it's useless. And this should stop us in our tracks, right? But we know that just saying don't do something often is not enough, especially when it's something that's become like a real dominating pattern of how we think because we're so easily tempted to fall back into those patterns. We know that it's important not only to stop doing something, but to replace it with something else. You've got to replace it with something else. You can go along all day and say, don't worry, be happy. That old song, but it's not going to get you too far because you'll get smacked right in the face with something and boom, you're back to your old ways. We need to replace it with something else. So here are two ways to attack it. The first way to fight anxiety is to focus on the kingdom of God. In verse 33, Jesus says it right there. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's what we're to do. We're to seek the kingdom. You say, well, what's the kingdom? Well, the kingdom of God is God's reign, His redemptive reign over this world. During Jesus' ministry, what did he teach? He said the kingdom of God was at hand, and he demonstrated so with his miracles and his exorcisms. He showed that the kingdom was taking authority over the powers of darkness. And then after his death and resurrection, the kingdom was firmly inaugurated. Remember what Jesus said when he was raised? And he said, hey, disciples, I want to meet with you. And then in Matthew 28, he tells them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. So Jesus wants the kingdom to spread. He's been given all authority by the Father, and now He wants to make the kingdom spread. And the kingdom spreads by the church going and making disciples of all nations. So advancing the kingdom is what we are to be about. You say, well, what does that mean then? How do we advance the kingdom? Well, Glad you asked. We should, not, we should seek to strengthen the church with our, our spiritual gifts that God has given us, with our service to the church, with our time, with our resources. We should be diligently praying as Jesus taught us to pray, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, praying for the kingdom to spread. We should seek to tell others about how to enter the kingdom. We should be consumed with the kingdom. So rather than being worried about food and clothing, we should focus on the kingdom. Rather than being consumed with what might happen, let us be consumed with what should happen, and that is the advance of the kingdom. And as we focus on the kingdom, God promises to meet our needs. Amen? We like to make it so complicated, don't we? But Jesus wants to make it simple. You focus on the kingdom, God will provide your needs. Period. So the second way to attack anxiety is prayer. Prayer. Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Great passage here. Compliments it so nicely. Philippians chapter 4. Pick up in verse 6 and 7. Paul says, Page 982, if you're using one of the Bibles there. Paul says in verse 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
So more than likely, I think Paul, he was familiar with Jesus' teaching, echoes his command about not being anxious again, but then he adds that instead of being anxious, let us pray. Right? Notice what he says there. Let your request be made known to God. We're not to bundle up all of the anxieties of life, but we're to cast them on the, the throne of the Lord. I love what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, to cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Sometimes we think we're tough if we just bundle all this stuff up and work it through on our own. We're not tough, we're foolish. We're not tough. No one can handle all this stuff. We're supposed to cast it before the Lord. And let me tell you, friend, the degree to which you cast it before the Lord is the degree to which you find relief from your burdens. If you want to have 50% relief, well, then cast half of those problems. If you want to have all, of, all relief, then cast all your cares on the Lord. I love what one writer he said, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. You know, Paul says that we should pray constantly, pray without ceasing. Sometimes you think, well, that's hard to do. Well, no, it's not. Think about all the things going on in your life. Just keep putting them before the Lord. And don't skip over the fact that he also says to pray with thanksgiving. Now, when you read that, you're like, is that supposed to be in there? Seems the opposite, right? In the midst of a trying time, we're supposed to be thankful? Yes, that's exactly right. You know why we're supposed to be thankful? By giving thanks, we affirm not only God's sovereign control over the situation, but also that He's good. And that He has a reason for this. And you give thanks because you trust that God has a purpose for allowing this in your life. And also by giving thanks, you recognize that God has a long track record in His history with you. And you remember that stuff and it motivates you to keep pressing on to trust His promises, to trust His character. And then when we do give these burdens to God, look at what verse 7 says. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God will give you His peace. We talked about a couple weeks ago, peace in Scripture doesn't mean just an absence of conflict. It means a sense of wholeness, a sense of restoration. You will have the peace of God. And specifically it says there, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard. Guard. That word there is very important. Very important there. Philippi, where he was writing to, was known as, a, as kind of a military base. There are a lot of soldiers, and they would have been familiar with garrisons and so on. One writer notes about this word guard. It was a vivid military term used of a detachment of soldiers who stand guard over a city and protect it from attack. So God's peace will protect you from outside sources that want to bring stress and anxiety all in your life. What a powerful image. And notice that he says that this is, this is a total protection. He says your mind, let me see there, he says your heart and your mind. The whole person is guarded. Your emotions, your wills, your thoughts. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Peace of God standing guard over your heart when you pray. And I think it's so thorough that even if you don't get that request that you're asking for, you know what? You still have peace. 
Because there's this amazing dynamic that as we lift up our burdens to the Lord, He is able to lift those burdens off of our hearts. So that even if we don't get the request we're hoping for, God still gives us a peace that He is sovereign, He's in control, He is good. And that we can be at peace about this. And it's a peace that is so wonderful, as Paul says there, it surpasses all understanding. No human could figure this out. Why, someone could be in the midst of all the struggles and concerns of life, but yet they have peace in the midst of it. And people will look at that person and say, how can that be? There's no humanly possible way that could be the case. And you say, that's right. Because God has given them that peace. I'm sure many of you can testify, right? There's been times in your life when you've been in the midst of a fierce storm, but you've gone to the Lord and sought Him and laid down those burdens, and He gives you a peace, and you can walk through it like it's the eye of a hurricane. The weight is gone. God is so good. But it needs to be stressed that this promise, friends, is not for every person, but for those who, as it says there in verse 7, who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that you have a relationship with Christ. You say, well, how do I have a relationship with Him? Well, to begin, you need to do a U-turn in your life. A spiritual U-turn. To turn from your sins. To realize that sin is why Jesus came to this world. Sin is what separates us from God. And to say, I want to repent. I want to turn from these things. I want to stop living my way, which is filled with constant anxiety and worry. And I want to start turning to God who can give me peace. To kind of put up the white flag, so to speak, and say, I'm tired of doing it my way. I want to do it God's way. So we're to turn. We're also to trust. Trust that Christ is who He says He was. God in human flesh, the Messiah, the Savior of mankind. And that what He came to do on this earth is what you believe and what you're claiming in your life, that He is your Savior, your Lord. Not just someone who died 2,000 years ago and set a wonderful example, but exactly what you need in your life, a Savior, a Redeemer, one who can give you a new heart, one who can rescue you from the trials and cares of life. Has it ever happened? Because it's not based on our good works. It's based on our faith, trust, Christ. That's never happened. Let me urge you today to urge you today to make today the day of salvation where you put your faith and trust in Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We come to you today as your church here gathered. And Lord, we come today with hearts that want to confess our worry and lack of trust in you. Forgive us for trying to smooth it over or to excuse it. Lord, we know that it is wrong in your eyes. And so we confess that to you today. And Lord, we also want to take to heart what Jesus has said, how futile it is. 
And also, Lord, how we are to overcome it. Lord, change our priorities so that we seek first Your kingdom. That our cares and our concerns are first and foremost on the kingdom. And Lord, where we need to make changes, I pray Your Holy Spirit would identify things in each of our lives where we maybe have too much of this or too too much of a focus on another issue instead of Your kingdom. Lord, we pray that You would rise the kingdom up to the surface in our hearts more and more. And Lord, we also pray that You would teach us how to pray without ceasing and to give these burdens over to You so that we are not overwhelmed, preoccupied, not able to sleep at night or to focus even on church on Sunday morning, gathering, able to focus on worshiping You because our hearts are so worried and burdened down. Lord, teach us how to pray and to not be anxious about anything. And Lord, remind us again that if we ever wonder, do You care about us? We see how You care for the birds and the lilies but someone here today might be wondering, do I, do, do I know that God cares? Oh, Lord, the wonderful cross. The wonderful cross where the love of God was displayed. The greatest display of love shows that you care deeply for us. And it is the way of salvation. Lord, we thank you for this time. And Lord, as we turn now to celebrate the Lord's Supper, the time when we remember and reflect what took place on that cross. We pray that you would bless us as we celebrate this wonderful time and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.